Hi everyone, I'm Shmaya. It's like papaya, except it's not. And this is Plot Twist, please. It's so good to see you again. I feel like I haven't seen you in ages. Hope you are well. Hope you've been sleeping well, eating well, living well. And today I'm going to talk about something that has been talked about probably multiple times across your feed. You've probably seen things about it on TikTok. You've seen things about it on YouTube or you've read articles about it. I wanted to look at this from a different perspective. So if you don't know who Sia is, she is a pop star known for quirky or alternative works. Very like Lady Gaga-esque and lately involving the actress slash dancer Maddie Ziegler. Basically we knew Sia as someone who was different and someone who probably went through a lot of trauma, right? So we, we, we can conceive from her work that she probably has been through a lot. Um, in her childhood, and she even alludes to some of that in explaining some of her work in interviews and in some of her lyrics as well. Now you might know Maddie Ziegler from Dance Moms, or you might know her from Cynthia's repertoire, which is Elastic Heart and that music video where she stars in it. If you don't know, I'm autistic and I'm also a black woman. This was a particularly hard thing for me to, to talk about because there were several things in this movie that need to be addressed. And if you didn't see the movie, don't watch it because Sia doesn't need to get revenue from that. If you're not aware, Sia recently released a movie featuring Maddie Ziegler, Kate Hudson, and Leslie Odom Jr. about a young autistic girl. This is her directional debut, so it was a big deal. And here's why a lot of people are having issues with it. First of all, she casts an holistic actor or a non-autistic actor to play the role of an autistic person. This involved the actor doing mannerisms and showing physicality that resembles being overstimulated or stimming. Another issue people have with this is the fact that it included a scene where the autistic girl's being held down in a way that could have been dangerous if she was an actual autistic person and this was actually happening. Another reason why people are having issues with it is because Sia had Maddie appear to be doing blackface. She had tan skin and her hair was in cornrows and in other parts of the musical feature of this movie, there were other characters who had Afrocentric hairstyles as well, which is why people were, people were suspecting that this was blackface or blackfishing at the very least. And apparently the character is supposed to be mixed race. So in case you weren't aware, these are some of the reasons why people are having issues with Sia and this film. So I'm not gonna talk as much about why these are issues because I kind of just explained why they're issues. It's pretty self-explanatory. But what I'm actually gonna talk about in this video is how something like this actually happened. What I often hear from people critiquing the film is, how could Sia do this? How could Sia let herself put this out into the world? How could a production team, how could the creative team, how could the people alongside her let something like this come to fruition? Sia thought she was going to get away with it. And here's why. But before we get into that, the Friday faves have been kind of slow lately, but I'm thinking about maybe making it a newsletter. And so you can subscribe to the newsletter and then have the Friday faves. That way, um, still will be blog posts on those Fridays. Also, subscribe to this channel if you feel so led. So now that that kind of housekeeping is taken care of, today I'm going to address in several parts from least liable to most liable, why something like Sia's music was bound to happen. So we're gonna start with the person that I think is the least liable, in my opinion. 
opinion, and that's Leslie Odom Jr. So when all this started erupting within the last few months, and this has been slowly bubbling since um, around November, October, when it first blew up, which was a couple months ago, I was sure that Leslie Odom Jr. didn't make a statement. I was sure. I'd understand why he wouldn't have. So black actors only have so much power now, particularly in Hollywood. It's just a hard nut to crack. And the people who own the oldest, most established studios, Warner Brothers, HBO, all of those are white men. They own them. They are the on the executive board, um, along with the people who are on the boards for these award shows, you know, for the Golden Globes, the people who actually vote on what has merit in the film world. And that's problematic right there, but we will get to that. <laughs> so in a room full of white people, if you're the only black cast member, I can see how if I was in Leslie, Leslie Odom Jr.'s shoes, I can see how I would choose to stay silent. Now that's a little dicey right there because Leslie Odom Jr. doesn't necessarily need this. He doesn't necessarily need this project. He's doing fine. It is kind of strange that he is so established at this point that he felt a need to make a statement about it supporting it. Now, I don't know if Leslie Odom Jr. actually believes what he said or if he was doing it to save face or to protect his coin, okay? Because I understand that. But also no, but yeah. Like he's really doing okay. Him and his wife are doing okay. I think they're still married. I don't know. That was my issue with that. I also understand that this is a business and that there may be a contractual agreement where he's not allowed to dis the movie. That's the law. But then wouldn't it be that he couldn't make a statement at all? If it was a contract agreement, I'd understand. If it wasn't, I'm puzzled. I'm puzzled. <laughs> I also want to note that making sure that every project that we're involved in is up to par in terms of representation or in terms of how problematic it is, shouldn't fall on the oppressed group's shoulders. It shouldn't fall on black people's shoulders. It shouldn't fall on the, the one black person in the room. That's something that I also wanna point out is no, it is not Leslie Odom Jr.'s job to make sure that Sia doesn't do something like this or that, that a, a, large, a large establishment like the Golden Globes, right? That they don't give us an award. That's not his job. Oftentimes people depend on the oppressed group or the marginalized group to be the spirit guide. And that's not what we signed up for. If they were gonna pay him to be the diversity liaison or consultant, sure. But oftentimes people expect that free labor from us, which is also really problematic. And that's why I say that Leslie Odom Jr. is the least to blame in all of this. But then again, his name is on it and it will forever be on it because he didn't take a stand. Maybe, maybe he didn't know the implications of, of the costuming and the hair and everything that has to do with autism that went into this movie. Maybe he wasn't aware that it was offensive and hurtful. But I also feel like with the whole cornrows thing and the tanned skin and the see like her character is supposed to be mixed apparently it's like did you read the script like if you read the script you know that would have irked me and as a black person if I saw someone put some dark makeup on that little girl and put some cornrows in her head I would have questions now, hey, maybe they weren't filming on the same day. Maybe that was a new development within the script that he was not aware of. I don't know. It would have it would have set the, the alarms off for me. 
But again, he is the least obligated of the bunch. Now on to the next tier of liability. The next person I'm going to address is Kate Hudson. Now look, she comes from a really affluent family. She's this perky white woman who, from my understanding, doesn't understand the implications of what she has done still. Of course, while I'm recording this, it may have changed, but she made a statement that was saying that it, it is more about the intent than it is about the impact. And that, that's what she was implying, in my opinion. She said, and I'm going to read this out loud. It's an ongoing and important dialogue to be had about neurotypical actors portraying neurodivergent characters. It is an important one to have with people with experts and those who know how to engage in the conversation. I encourage it, truly. I think that it's important to say that we are listening. So I'm just gonna break down this quote and why people are having issues with it. She said, it's an ongoing and important dialogue to be had. I, I often hear whenever someone brings up grievances about misrepresentation or about harming a certain marginalized community, it's what an institution will often say, either in a public statement or something or other, is that they will always say, this is an important dialogue to be had. Almost as if both sides are in the same standing, as if, Someone who has the power in the situation is on the same playing field as someone who doesn't have the power. When you have a power dynamic like that, yes, it's a dialogue, but you need to understand that we are coming from two different places. Marginalized people have had to learn about the dominant culture because it's their way of survival. But people who don't live inside of those confinements don't have to learn about another culture, don't have to learn about how someone else struggles because of their circumstance or because of them not being neurotypical or because of them not being white. You know, they don't have to learn about that stuff to survive. As an autistic person talking to an holistic person or a person who's not autistic, we are literally coming from two different places. You are coming from a place of privilege of never having to understand my side. And I am coming from a place of constantly having to defend who I am to you and to defend the validity of who I am. It's almost laughable that she would imply through the line, it is an important one to have with experts and those who know how to engage in the conversation. That's kind of implying that the people who have lived the experience don't know how to engage in that conversation. Now look, I understand the importance of expertise and of having a concentrated intellectual place of reference. I understand that doctors will know more than me, but as a black woman, I can speak to the fact that when I go to the gynecologist, I need to be more adamant about making sure that certain things are notated on my chart. Because I know that the medical system also has racism woven into it. No, I can't deliver a baby, but I can tell you how my body feels and I can tell you that I'm used to doctors not taking me seriously. And I've had to exaggerate things. I've had to exaggerate reports of pain in the doctor's office because I know that they're not gonna take me as seriously as they would a white woman. Doctors still think, and that this, like, this is current. This isn't 40 years ago. Doctors that are practicing now still think that black people have thicker skin than white people, as in they can take more pain than white people. So that is why I argue that lived experience is expertise in a lot of respects, especially when the experts still don't know a lot about autistic women, still don't know about a lot about autistic people of color. Those experts actually spread a lot of misinformation and a internalize ableism, actually when it comes to autism. Here's the thing too is Kate Hudson got a Golden Globe nomination for this, so I don't expect her to speak openly about it and about its problems. And maybe the two are not related, perhaps, but people do that all the time. 
Also, again, perhaps she was under a contract. Maybe there was some legal obligation. I don't know. Now, in the next tier of liability sits someone who is not directly involved with the film, but played a role, perhaps indirectly, in silencing the voices of the people who were harmed by this film and elevating the voices of someone who already had in a view that this film was being overly criticized and who had more power in this scenario. And that is Jimmy Kimmel. Now, I don't, I don't hate Jimmy Kimmel. I don't dislike him. I really don't. But he has his own show, which means he is the boss. What he could have done was bring on an autistic person on the show to talk about their experience, about their lived experience, which is expertise in its own right, and have them talk about how the film hurt them or what the issues with the film were. Rather than bringing on a celebrity who's part of the film for her to say, oh, people should just see the heart behind it or the intent. Kiki, ki, I gotta go to Gold nomination. Like, there, he could have done so much more to address this because it's not just someone being offended. This is something that made me physically uncomfortable to the point where I couldn't watch it anymore. Like, there were so many scenes where I was like, like the whole, the whole thing, I was physically uncomfortable because there was someone on screen who was imitating me in more ways than one. And that hurts. Like, it's not just something that is like, oh, how could they do that? Like, this actually hurts. It actually hurt me. Like, I'm saying it out loud. This hurt me. And that should have mattered. And it should have mattered enough to someone like Jimmy Kimmel, who writes his own contracts, who, who has his own business, who doesn't have to, to answer to Sia. <laughs> it would have meant a lot if he had taken this opportunity to elevate someone within the autistic community. But Kate Hudson, but it just would have been so powerful if he had been that intentional about it. Well, honestly, I don't think he has any specific responsibilities in terms of this whole debacle, but it would be great if he brought on an autistic person on his show to talk about this. So we'll see, Jimmy, we'll see. And the next tier of liability or accountability is an organization called Autism Speaks. They're problematic anyway. In this whole scenario, the fact that somebody reached out to them is not surprising. They are very prominent and they're they're out there. They're a pretty established organization, even though they're as problematic as the Golden Globes. <laughs> One of the reasons why Autism Speaks is not helpful to autistic people is because it promotes an idea that autism can be cured, should be cured, and it's something that autistic people should be ashamed of. And more so parents of autistic children should be ashamed of. And it, it promotes this idea that autistic children are a burden, that people who parent them are special simply because they've decided to raise an autistic child. And a lot of practices that they promote are harmful to us and can kill us. That is why Autism Speaks is not, it's not my fave, it's not my fave, and is largely hated by the autistic community their puzzle piece logo. It, it symbolizes that autistic people are, we're mysterious things that we just have to find our place and we'll fit in, but we don't wanna fit in. And we shouldn't have to fit in to feel cared for or to get the resources that we need or to be deemed as worthy of life and of a happy full life. We shouldn't have to fit in to get those things. And so what people often use, including myself, is the infinity symbol to show that I'm autistic forever and that is who I am and I'm not ashamed of it. And that is what a lot of autistic people favor over the puzzle piece logo. 
So if you, if you're out there and you want to be an advocate for us, just something to put in your back pocket. I'm going on a tangent. So on to the next tier of liability. And I'm surprised that more people haven't been talking about this, but that's Maddie's mom slash manager. Here's the thing. When Maddie made this movie, she was a child. But her mom at the point was her manager, or at least her mom. <laughs> and she could have stepped in. There were accounts recorded of Maddie literally in tears, bawling because she was afraid that this depiction of an autistic person would make autistic people in real life feel bad. Hmm. Wonder where she got that instinct from. Wonder where. That's fascinating because apparently this child had more instinct or more intuition than this very established middle-aged woman, especially with the different mannerisms she was doing and the exaggerations of her body and of her facial expressions, which so offensive and so hurtful, she was right. Like she told Sia that this was wrong or that it felt wrong and Sia didn't let her out of the contract. Now look, I have issues with Maddie's mom in general. I saw them throughout the Dance Mom series. I pinpointed a few things mentally that were like, this is, this is, this is, this is kind of gross. Like, this is kind of gross. And I get it. You want your child to be successful by any means necessary. But yeah, her mom strikes me as the type of person who wants her child to be successful by any means necessary. And though that has gotten her extremely far, it really reminds me of the whole, the whole trope where the parent is more interested in the child's career than the actual well-being of the child. And I saw that throughout Dance Moms. I feel like a lot of those moms actually I feel like a lot of parents of young actors or of young celebrities fall into that category, which is sad. But I definitely think that Maddie's mom could have said or done something. I mean, she was her mother. She's her legal guardian. She could have taken her to the side and been like, Maddie, if you don't want to do this, you can tell me. Like, there's there just, there are so many things she could have done at that point. I'm not here to shame any moms out there. God forbid, I'm not trying to do that. But that just makes my nose wrinkle. So the next tier of accountability or liability is involving the big kahuna herself, Sia. I think the biggest issue that I have with Sia isn't that she wrote or directed this movie, isn't that she released it to the public, it's the fact that someone told her, hi, I'm autistic and this hurts me, way back in the fall. And she basically said, I'm trying my best and that's all that matters. Like, and here's the thing. Was she trying her best? And I'll get to that. I'll get to that later. I have to admit, I almost fell for it. I almost fell for thinking that the white woman was innocent in all this and that she was just ignorant and didn't understand the implications of her actions, which is something that we all fall uh, subject to. This bell that gets cast on all of us. But Sia knew what she was doing. She said, the movie is both a love letter to caregivers and to the autism community. That was a tweet. And she also said, I have my own unique view of the community. And it, and felt it is underrepresented and compelled to make it. My intentions are awesome. It was funny that she said that. But it also made me realize that people who are quirky or alternative or have a different perspective on art often excuse themselves of abhorrent things like this. They assume that because they've been through something, because they've been traumatized in one way or another, that they have a monopoly on suffering and that they could not possibly harm someone else. Or they could not at any point be an oppressor because they have suffered. It's like she felt that her voice, that her perspective 
on someone was more important than that person themselves. Her perspective on the entire autistic community was more important than how the autistic community felt about her depiction of them. If someone literally said, hey, I'm someone who you are claiming to support or advocate for, and I'm telling you that this actually does the opposite. She brushed them off several times for several months. Now, how does this happen? How does someone do that? How does someone get to that point? I think some of it had to do with the support that she was getting from other autistic people and also autistic organizations. For example, one of her supporters was the National Council for Severe Autism, which published a letter from an autistic fan. And that letter was titled, Thank You for Representing a Girl with Autism. So if I'm Sia and I've never interacted with an autistic person in my life, one autistic person telling me that I did something good for them might get to my head a little bit. But the part of it that, that makes me look at her a little sideways is that a lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, were coming at her with, with reasons to why this is not good for the autistic community or autistic people, to why this perpetuates stereotypes, and to why it's actually taking away opportunities from autistic people because she hired an autistic a non-autistic actor in the place of an autistic person. And it still didn't change her mind. The only way she changed her mind was when the public had had enough and when everywhere you turned, somebody was talking about this whole debacle. Now, in a fairly recent interview on the program, Fierce Woman in Music, Sia did actually show remorse for her actions on social media when people were tweeting at her about this film actually perpetuating harmful stereotypes and not helping the autistic community. She said, I have to admit to being ableist to some degree. I'm not proud of it. I've learned my lesson. And here's the thing, it's a, to some degree part that's wild. Sia was literally ableist in every way possible. She took away an opportunity from an autistic person. She perpetuated a stereotype about an autistic person. She pushed back on autistic people when they said that something hurts them. She consulted with Autism Speaks, which is as we've established, basically an autism hate group, or at the very least, incredibly misinformed, ignorant to the actual issues that autistic people face and how to adhere to them. She broke the mold, she did it. <laughs> this is how this actually happens. First of all, privilege. And it also comes in a certain level of celebritism. Almost like celebrities at a certain point think that they're untouchable and that if they feel like something is right, then it must be right. If they feel like their hearts are in the right place, then there's no way it can be motivated by capitalist means. But just because you're an artist and just because you are an alternative, a quirky, niche artist doesn't mean that you aren't capable of having capitalistic interests and it doesn't mean that you're not capable of participating in a system that disenfranchises, silences, and oppresses people. And a lot of white people go through this. A lot, a lot of people in general who think that because they are oppressed one way that they have monopoly over oppression and that they can never be an oppressor. But here's the thing, we are all capable of being an oppressor, all of us. Within the right circumstances, we are all capable. It's even more shocking and a little alarming that she adopted two black boys because she made a comment about them that was, they teach me and I just listen. That was a quote that she made about them. And I kind of wanted to scream <laughs> because your children are not here to teach you anything. You teach them. If you don't have diversity training or that and the other, you need to get somebody who has because those children's job, their job is not to teach you about racism through existing. They are not your guinea pigs. They're children. Like that, that's the part that really made me 
want to pop off a little bit. But here's how this happens. This happens because people are assuming that someone else is there to serve them, to serve their narrative, to make them feel good about themselves. And this is the epitome of inspiration porn. Like you see it in media all the time with stories about white people, but they just pluck black people in there. And if white people feel good watching it, it doesn't matter how it portrays black people. It doesn't matter what it actually does. And a privileged person feeling good does not mean that the work is actually good. That happens a lot. Sia is not the first perpetrator of this. And that's what brings me to the last tier of accountability or liability. Now you might be surprised, you might be surprised that this is not ultimately Sia's fault. A lot of it is, mind you, a lot of it is. But I think the biggest kahuna, the biggest perpetrator of ableism and racism in this whole situation is the industry itself. This film was a microcosm of everything that happens in the industry every day. This movie, this movie, this movie, this movie, all guilty of doing what Sia has done. There's this culture that deems the oppressed group or the marginalized group as not worthy or speaking of their own experience. And if we do hear of their experience, it has to be from the lens of a privileged group or the group in power. We are so used to seeing privileged people talk about the experiences of people who they oppress that it's hard to even notice sometimes. We are so used to hearing white people talk about black people stories. We are so used to hearing able-bodied people talk about disabled people stories to the point where it's almost synonymous with the film industry itself. A lot of our favorites, a lot of our childhood favorites are problematic in the same way that C's film is problematic. C was bad at executing it now. She was, she was way off in the way she executed it. But a lot of these films that we love, that we refer to all the time, are guilty of the same thing. She just had worse choreography. But we've seen it all before. It's not new. It's not new to me. I'd also like to point out too the fact that executives warned, warned Sia that if she cast a black actress in the place of Maddie Ziegler, who is supposed to portray a mixed race girl. They told her that the movie wouldn't be categorized as mainstream, that it would be categorized as a black movie and that she didn't want that. If she was going to talk about disabilities even, if she was going to talk about disabilities especially, it had to be a white girl. Now this lets us know too that these intentions weren't as pure as she made them seem. She made a decision to cast a white girl instead of a mixed girl because she knew it would perform better categorically and that it could be marketed toward the demographic she wanted it to be marketed to. You know, it makes you wonder, do people actually make films about marginalized groups for those marginalized groups, for the people within those marginalized groups to be seen? Or do they do it to make themselves feel like they're doing something important? And honestly, I think the latter, it takes less work, it takes less self-reflection. And look, two Golden Globe noms, two nominations for this. This needs to be a lesson to all artists, to the people on the executive boards of those larger studios. We aren't dumb. Consumers are not dumb. You can see the strings attached. Now, I don't find a way in tearing celebrities down. But I do think this is a great opportunity for us to look at ourselves and to think, why do we make film? Why do we make art? And who do we do it for? Thank you for watching. Please like, subscribe, and share if you feel so led. And stay weird, y'all. Bye. Mwah.